This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today, I am here with my great friend, Christy. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. This is technically, I don't want to say a redo of an episode because I do feel like it's going to be new. We have like more things to talk about. And when did we record that original episode? Like over a year. Two years ago? Oh, God. Yeah. It was it Time was, like doesn't make sense to me anymore after. Because I was dating my previous partner. Yes. So it was, it was two years ago. Yes. And it was just... I don't, I didn't prepare for this in the same way I did for that. So I think the conversation will be a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And just like our lives have evolved so much that I think we're going to have really different perspectives on this. Completely. Two years is like a lifetime, I feel like right now for us. So uh, for context, Christy joined me. Well, you've joined me for multiple episodes. You were my first episode. Uh, But you joined me for an episode on sex and media. And the episode was great. But full disclosure, it was the... It wasn't the height of COVID because we were seeing each other yeah, and we were relatively safe, but it was COVID times and I had just started self-producing and I did not know what I was doing. And my dog was like walking around in the background. <laughs> the audio was just it. so bad and it like didn't do the, the meat of the episode justice. Yes. So we're redoing it. It's going to be even better. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, I also think you're especially good for an episode on sex and media because you're so logical. Yeah. And you can just look at things very objectively and you, I feel like sometimes it's hard to get advice from friends because everybody kind of like brings their own shit into advice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you like, for example, got cheated on, it's like people are going to like have a visceral reaction based on like their previous experiences. Totally. That does not go for you. I feel like (laughs) if it does, I'm always like, this is a, like, this is an opinion from me. Do you want it? You're very (laughs) self-aware. Yeah. So... That's why you're great for this episode. Um, And also because we met in media. We did. We met when we were both working at Playboy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's a good place to start the conversation because one of the biggest questions, I would get it, but I feel like you would get it more specifically because of the nature of what you did at Playboy with casting was this line, you know, people would come to us and be like, so you work at Playboy. Like, so I don't understand, like, where's the line between like, women's empowerment with like posing naked and like objectifying yourself like how how do you find the line in that Mm -hmm. yeah I think that was something that was always talked about and it's something that I think while we were there our our own perspective changed on it absolutely and just through the times yeah I I always land at it's up to the person yeah that is being portrayed 
Yeah. Um, I just think it's it's really difficult for someone else to make that decision for, for someone, like if they're being objectified or yeah. not. So that's kind of where I always end up landing on it. <laughs> um, so a lot of my work at Playboy was talking to women about how they felt about this, if it was something that they wanted to do, why they wanted to do it. Yeah. Some people would come in with, with reasons that I would be like, oh, I don't know if they would still feel that way in a few years. Maybe they're not the right person to cast, you know? Yeah. So you would cast people kind of based on their answers to that question and feeling like, well, are they ready for this? Yeah, just what they believe. Is it sort of a fad for them? Is it something that they want to capture in their like younger years? Right. Which is like always a little bit icky to me. Um, yeah, I think there were so many answers to that question and there's not a right answer or a wrong answer. I think you just kind of gauge where someone's at in their life. Completely, yeah. And I think for me, especially doing OnlyFans, mm-hmm. which we were kind of just talking about, but it's like that has even changed for me in terms of like, I think I've always been pretty, you know, pro-sex work. I've never necessarily been somebody who was like apt to like slut shame or something because I've always been pretty sexually open, mm-hmm. but um, I, it changes when you're the one doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been interesting for me to like be like, to grapple with that in myself and be like, I'm in some ways, of course, appealing to the male gaze. Like that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? But yeah. it it is such a personal thing because it doesn't feel that way to me. Even though I know what I'm doing like objectively, I don't feel like I'm objectifying myself. I feel actually very empowered. It's like increased my confidence. It's made me feel more, I feel like I'm better at setting boundaries in person mm-hmm. because I've had to set boundaries with so many people online and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's, it's just, it's done more good than harm. And I think that's what it was for me. It was like, if this was like affecting my psyche or I felt like I like constantly had to put on and be this person and feel like, felt like a sex object, I probably wouldn't be doing it anymore because I can be very sensitive in the way where I'm like, yeah, it would affect me in real life. And it's not, it's only made me actually better. I have a question about that just in terms of So media itself, I feel like some people don't have a choice over the relationship they have with their consumer. Yeah. And I feel like for something like OnlyFans, you have a little bit more of a choice of your relationship, what kind of relationship you want to have. Absolutely. Because I'm thinking about TV stars, like actors, um, they might be portraying themselves in a TV show or a movie and they might not hear from the consumer or have a relationship with the consumer on things like that. But OnlyFans feels so different to me. So I'm just curious, like, what you feel about your relationship with your consumer. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because with the way that the internet is, it's easy to kind of just see all these people as like a sea of faceless people. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what happens with TV stars and, and people. But on OnlyFans, one of the biggest things I learned is it's actually not as much about sex as you would expect. It mm-hmm. is a lot about emotion. And it is, I'm way more of a, paid girlfriend than I am a sex worker Mm. and I am technically doing sex work but I've noticed for so for the majority of the people that I talk to often they're looking for an emotional connection and so it it feels easier for me to set boundaries or to call them out when they're being assholes I've called fans out and people who essentially pay my bills yeah and I'm like you're being rude right now or like you're you're crossing a boundary I've made it very clear that I'm not comfortable doing that like I appreciate if you don't ask me again but I like that because I feel like when we're if we're talking about objectification you get to you get to push back and say this is where I'm starting to feel objectified and it's not okay absolutely Uh, and, and it's interesting too because Sometimes you don't even know what that looks like until it's asked of you. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I 
there are certain things I do that might technically be more risque than other things, but something about it feels fine to me. And there are certain things people ask for and I'm like, no, that doesn't make me feel good. And they're like, why? You've done worse. And I'm like, there's no real gauge. You know what yeah, I mean? Like that's it's so just, interesting. It ha- it's completely based off like I read that and it made me feel icky and so I'm not doing it. Like technically, quote unquote, I might have done like more sexual things, but it just, I can't explain it other than it just, it's like that whole, like that famous thing with the Supreme Court where the guy was like, they were like, can you define porn? And he was like, you can't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, it kind of goes for that. It's like, I can't define, people come up and they're like, so what are you willing to do? And I'm like, you got to just ask what you, for what you want. Because to be honest, I don't even know. Yeah. Until you ask. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting in that, in that way. And yeah, it does feel like I have more power over my objectification. Because you're so much closer to the consumer. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're having actual conversations and they have to come to me and ask for what they want. And then we have to decide together if I'm willing to do it. it it's like, it is a relationship. Do you feel like it's the same way for other platforms? I think it's. It's not as much, I guess, like the content is much different is what I'm getting at, obviously from TikTok or Instagram compared to OnlyFans. But do you still feel like you're able to push back or you have the same relationships? I actually feel like it's very similar. Okay. It's very similar in the sense that you are getting real-time feedback and you are interacting with these people. And on some level, it's not a one-sided relationship. It's very much a two-sided relationship because you are relying on them for whatever it is, views, clicks, validation, money. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And in the same way that they're relying on you for entertainment or mm-hmm. pleasure or whatever it is versus like I'm I'm, I'm guessing porn stars have it a little bit harder in the sense that they're more in the camp of the like TV stars. Yeah. Where they're just opening themselves up to that and they don't kind of get to pick and choose. And it's harder for them because they're also doing something that's extremely – um, personal, personal, but also stigmatized, oh, judge. Absolutely, you know what I mean. So it's, yeah, it's 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 this interesting it's weird middle ground. It's a risk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's very interesting, us having this conversation because at this point, the last time we had this conversation, I was on social media platforms. Oh, right. You're not. I'm not on social media at platforms all, right? except for Twitter. You are, but even then, I feel like you're not. But like, the way I use Twitter isn't to, I guess consume media yeah <laughs> it's just like following people that I'm very interested just keeping in. up people's lives yeah and some just partly for news so it's like I'm not using social media the same way I was at all yeah to what I previously was and so when we do talk about what my role was at Playboy it's my perspective is so much different now because I'm out of it I'm out of the world how has your perspective changed When I was working there and casting and doing these things, I was on social media, right? So I was looking, I was constantly scrolling, seeing, yeah, and figuring out how these things affected me, what I wanted to see, yeah, what I was hearing from other people that they wanted to see, um, things like that. And so I think I was reacting to that a little bit while also really caring about, about the brand, yeah, and wanting the brand to stay, you know keep its integrity yes um and so when we talk about kind of representation or or what's important for the media to portray I think it's different now because I'm I'm less affected by it all if that makes sense yeah absolutely um I've been able to step back a little bit but to your point we were having a conversation earlier of and you're like, well, we live in LA. You're, you still see all the billboards and you see it yeah. everywhere. So there is still like a level to it. Um, 
But I just think like from an important standpoint for representation, I think we've come a long way. There's, there's still so much, there's so far to go. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about porn. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So porn has been coming up a lot for me lately. Um, in my personal life, but also a lot of questions, um, on the podcast in terms of just like women specifically feeling very triggered by porn, which is like nothing new, Yeah. but to the point where people are like, I, it's a boundary for me. I'm very uncomfortable with my partner doing it. I consider it cheating. I'm very triggered by it. And I wanted to get your opinion on that because, well, you're obviously very smart and very logical, but also just coming from a background of like, you know, there's like, maybe we weren't technically working in it, but like there is like a porn aspect to Playboy. You know what I mean? It wasn't very around us. And I think because of that, we're almost um, desensitized to it in a way. And so I'm sure you have a very different opinion than a lot of other people on it. I think if people, to your point, are having issues in their relationships about porn. Yeah. Porn isn't the problem. It's usually communication. Absolutely. And I think if if a partner is having an issue with porn, you can talk through it. You can figure out why, why are you feeling like you need to watch porn or yeah. why do you feel like you're uncomfortable with me watching porn? Yeah. You know, there's two sides of that. Coin. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's just about healthy communication. If you are struggling with your partner watching porn and you're not liking it, you can always, you know, step one, turn porn on yourself, see what it's all about. Yeah. See what your partner might be consuming. If there are things that are really triggering to you or things that you have an issue with, talk about that with your partner because I think everyone also pictures porn as one thing and it's you know a a woman with a fake body having sex with a guy that's sort of faceless has a huge penis yeah and there's particular shots that come to mind but I think if you actually watch porn or do a little research or like you know kind of go into the different types of porn yeah I truly believe there's a type of porn for everyone absolutely um, and and so there I is think, non-problematic porn. Yes. Maybe there wasn't in like the early 2000s. It's possible. But there is now. There is now. Like you can really find something up your alley, even if it's, you know, you just wanting to watch two people that are in love have, you know, traditional. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's porn that sex. feels like the type of like erotic romance novels that like our mothers read. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it, it reads the same way. Yeah. And also, I also want to point out people just might not like watching other people have sex. And yeah. that's totally fine too. Absolutely. But I don't necessarily think if that's your, if that's your feeling, I don't think you need to demonize it for others. Yeah. So that's, that's my general takeaway for porn. Yeah. I think a lot of it, like you said, stems from this idea of what porn is. And I think the like general standard of that is very triggering for women because you said it involves fake bodies. It involves unrealistic body standards. It involves unrealistic sexual standards in terms of like the woman orgasming immediately and like having this gorgeous orgasm face and like she's like (laughs) not sweaty at all. You know what I mean? And like even other, I mean, even like on a slightly more dark end, like a lot of times like mainstream porn is really aggressive Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? And it's a lot of that can just be like very, very triggering. So I think there's an aspect of that and of being like, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of it can be just like broadening your horizons and understanding that like there is women directed porn that feels very equal and that doesn't feel problematic and that feels like you're just watching two people have sex. Yeah. And if that's, your entry into porn or that's the only porn you want to consume, that's great and yeah. fine. The I think the point of 
porn is a little bit exploring what is pleasure to you yeah, or what things you might be interested in or things that you might not be interested in. And I think where it gets problematic is if someone is watching it in ways of getting ideas that might not, again, work with their partner because they're not yeah. communicating. Right. It like, it all comes down to that to, for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the, the problems sort of lie. So again, I, I don't think porn itself is the problem, but people can be problematic with porn yeah. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. But those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting too, because I feel like it does kind of another like trigger it brings up, at least for me, used to was like this idea of being performative. And I think sometimes people can feel like, well, if if my partner is watching this, that's what they like. And I ha- and then I have to do that. And I think that's what I felt for a long time was like, I know my partner watches porn because I've mostly been in hetero relationships with, you know what I mean? With yeah. cis, cis men. So like, yeah, 100% they're watching porn. And I just just believing without communicating that they expected me to perform in that same way. And it caused me to be super performative in sex. A lot of times because of like <clears throat> what I what I had seen in porn and feeling like I had to like be super loud or look really beautiful and like, you know, be conscious of the way my body looked and fake a lot of a lot of orgasms. <laughs> How do you feel like you got out of that? Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the podcast and honestly what mm-hmm. I've like done and like just looking weirdly, I think at sex more objectively and like being able to take emotion out of it and being like understanding the very real harm that doing that causes for me, but also for my partner and for our relationship and understanding that I was like starting to like resent partners because I wasn't receiving any pleasure, but I wasn't like asking. I wasn't like telling them what I wanted. I was just like, you know what I mean? I was like, I was just really fucking myself up. Like I was doing, it was doing nothing for us and for the relationship. And if anything, I also noticed that like the first few times that I like, I can like picture it perfectly. The first few times that I told myself, I'm not going to fake an orgasm, even if it takes a really long time. I'm not going to do it. And I remember having the anxiety of it like taking too long or like knowing that I had to like have my arms positioned a certain way. You know what I mean? That wasn't like, I remember, I remember those moments and being so anxious. And I think that I got very lucky that I happened to be with partners who were excited about that because they could tell that I wasn't faking it because it was a little bit harder. You know what I mean? Like they were like, okay, this is taking 45 minutes. She's in this weird ass position (laughs) and she keeps like telling me exactly what I need to do. Like, so this is obviously not faking it. And them liking that. And them, I think feeling like, it's like the difference between feeling, walking out of like a room when you like cheated on a test and got an A versus like walking out of a room and knowing that you like studied all night and got an A. You know what I mean? And it it made them feel better and it made me feel better. And I think just like forcing myself to do it. And then I was like, oh, that was way more fun than faking it. I literally went through such a similar situation. Yeah. And it was, it's been years in the making, but I think in previous relationships, and even in the one that I am in currently, yeah. at the beginning of the relationship, you're so attracted to this person. It's new. It's so passionate. All of this stuff. And it's sort of a similar situation where you derive a lot of maybe your sexual experiences from things that you've seen. Yes. And so it does feel a little performative. Yeah. And I got to the place and now I see it as a pattern because I've had enough of these relationships. Yeah. At a certain point of the relationship, I started completely feeling 
gross about having sex to the point where I was feeling like, am I asexual? Wow. Do I just not enjoy sex? Yeah. And it took me being in my current relationship, being able to have a sit down with my partner. Yeah. And I think this is just like a testament to the fact that I have so much trust and like there's intimacy built there. Yeah. That I was able to say like, I kind of want to start over in the sex department. Yeah. And I want to do it in a way that's just very different from the way that we started. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that the the sex at the beginning of the relationship was bad. I orgasmed during that time. Like yeah. that's not what it had to do with. It just felt like it wasn't necessarily me all of the time. Yeah. Um, and so having that conversation and be, being able to sit and kind of explore, okay, let's try something that we've never done yeah. or – like, let's build that intimacy and see if we like it this way or if I'm completely quiet or, you know, just yeah. like testing things out and seeing what feels like me. That was a huge thing. And I think a lot of us have to unlearn what we see in media completely. in order to have that experience with our partners. Completely. And it transcends porn because I, I, we've referenced this like the last time we talked about this, but even just like rom-coms mm -hmm. and the way that like sex is portrayed and even like you know pg-13 movies is so wrong <laughs> my absolute pet peeve is the um you see like the romantic music all of that and yeah. then my my least favorite scene is when two people like are on the bed and they both like drop to their backs yes. at the same time and they're like, like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's over was it great for you yeah. was that good for you yeah. no but um <laughs> but I hate that moment in movies because it's like you know there had to be cleanup involved you know yeah. that that woman is probably just like laying in a gross puddle of, yeah like a sex puddle and you just like it's just not realistic. Especially, especially those scenes when it's the first time. Because I'm like, you guys didn't even have the conversation about if you're going to use condoms or not. Was a condom used? Who was tested? Did you just skip when? that scene? Yeah. Is he just finished inside you? What just happened? Like, it's so... <laughs> we need more context. We do. And I would appreciate that. I would love to see a sex scene in a movie where they were like just about to do it. And then the girl was like, wait, are you going to use a condom? And like, I was like, oh, I can if you want. And then she's like, well, do you have one? He's like, yeah, hold on, let me get it. Like, And then she's like, well, we don't have to. I'm on birth control, but like, have you been tested? Like, I want to see that or conversation. Like, oh, should we put a towel down? Yes. Or like, oh, can you grab one? Yes. Oh, can I go to the bathroom right now? Just like normal thing. Oh, right. I would love to see a naked woman waddling to the bathroom <laughs> having to pee the come out at the end of sex. I would love the, to the see The boy's that. shirt between her legs. That's yes. happened to me before. Yeah. She like has like her hand. She's like cupping herself just in case. I want to see that because that's really what happens. And absolutely. It's like I've been, I remember being younger and having sex and like having that moment afterwards where I'm just like sitting in an uncomfortability because it's, it wasn't shown to me that it was okay to like waddle to the bathroom I after. I have slept all night. Absolutely. Without to, going to in the, the sex puddle before I learned about, you know, sex hygiene and yep. things. Yep. And I just was like, I'm not, I wouldn't make a fuss. Like that's no just way. how it is. Something's wrong with me. Yeah. It's leaking because it's because yeah. of my vagina. It's, I don't know. Leaking is gross. <laughs> yeah. And I have to be a sexual being yeah. at all times. Yeah. It's the uncomfortable situations that I have put myself in. Yeah. In the name of sex. And are, that's what we have to unlearn. Yeah. When we get, you know, when we get with that partner that we really trust or I think people should just unlearn it on their own and do that in one night stands. Yeah. And be absolutely. able to say what they want and what's going to get them there. Because I think that's really difficult. I think a lot of people 
like me say, oh, I got here because my partner was so trusting. Yeah. But I want people to get there without a trusting partner. Yeah. Because some people don't want a partner. Yeah. What if you never want to be in a relationship? You know what I mean? Like, what if you just want to have sex with a bunch of people, which is totally fine. But like, if you're still in that performative mindset, God, that sounds exhausting. I know. It sounds so exhausting to have to be like out there dating and like going through the process of even just like building up enough trust to like bring someone home and then to not even like enjoy it. And not even to bring up the the pandemic. But I think yeah, we're all getting back out there and mm-hmm. have been for the last year. And I, after that, I cannot imagine being super excited about going and having like performative casual sex. No, absolutely someone. not. Yeah. It's just, there's it's a new normal. Well, I've talked about this before and how I like really hope that us being more open about like sickness and getting COVID tested and like wearing masks will be like in turn result in us being more open about like STI testing conversations and condom use and things like that. I love that. Um, I feel like, you know, it's, it's like not weird anymore to be like, so when was the last time you got like tested and we're talking about COVID, but like, let's, you know what I mean? Like, do it you be the think same. that's about the time that we're living in? Or do you think that's because we're like, I, I always think this to myself. Is it because the world has gotten to this place where we're more comfortable talking about it? Or is it just that I'm matured and that everyone has gone through this process and like when they're nearing 30 or whatever age, there's not a right age. Yeah. But for me, nearing 30, I've, I feel like I've come into a lot of like wisdom around sex. Yeah. And I wonder if that's just like, oh, it's just a life stage. Everyone goes through it. Or if it's like collectively as a society, we're just getting better at it. The optimistic side of me likes to believe it's society. Yeah. Likes to believe that we're bringing in new generations of people who are just more comfortable being themselves mm. and asking for what they want and setting boundaries and putting themselves first in that way. And I also think we're, you know, obviously moving into a world that is like less patriarchal and less gendered. And I think that those things in turn just make us less inclined to feel like we need to perform or that we need to be a certain way. Yeah, That's the po- optimistic side of me. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it, also just coincides with us you know what I mean like we're at a good age where we are with moving with the times not just because of the times but because of our age like it's both you know what I mean like we're on this parallel of like things are getting better and we're also just getting older and wiser and more comfortable with ourselves and so we kind of get to ride the both waves I definitely feel like I'm at an age where I've accepted the fact that my elders aren't always looking to me for like the young opinion or voice or perspective on something. And that I'm now looking at younger people for that opinion and perspective. It's so interesting. Some of the people I follow like on TikTok or, you know, on podcasts and stuff who have these like, write these incredible essays and like just have these really great like thoughts and ideas and things that are like opening up my mind. They're like 21. Yeah. It's wild. But it's so good. Like, I think to be conscious of that and to yeah. be able to be open to this next generation's views on things and accept it because obviously when we were that age, we didn't like the older people that were like, that's wrong. That's not yeah. the way you do it. But also not to be like a classic millennial boomer hater, but like <laughs> they were less inclined. Yeah. I, you know, even now I find that my like quote unquote elders don't necessarily always take me seriously or still consider me like I have family members who still consider me like quote unquote naive because I'm like a liberal. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's just like, they're so set in their ways in certain ways. And I think it's harder for them to accept that maybe they were wrong about things. Yeah. But then I'm having to grapple with things that I don't want to change my mind on. And I'm like, fuck, am I 
becoming that way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. It's this weird line, but we are better. I hope You know, so. we're better and it'll only continue to get better. You and know? we're having the conversation. So I feel like exactly. that's already better. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's also humbling. Yes. To like, you know, read an essay by like... Um, Someone who was born someone with who, yeah. 2000 <laughs> in front of it. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Very humbling. It's like there's that um, TikTok uh, girl, Rain Fisher Kwan. She's like, I don't know if you've heard of her, but like she has these incredible... Oh, right, you're not on social media. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's like known for having these like incredible essays on like feminism and like gender and stuff. And I remember the first time I found out her age and I was like, I feel excited and <laughs> offended and very insecure That's and awesome. very happy. It's like a lot of emotion for me to like... <laughs> Handle. Growing up is weird. It is. It's very weird. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. So um, speaking of rom-coms, obviously the sex is its own thing. Yes. But even just relationships, like even taking sex out of the equation, talked about this in the last time too, but this idea, well, it's interesting. Cause, so I was writing the notes for this episode and kind of like the things I wanted to talk about. And the first thing that came to mind when I started thinking about like the uh, unrealistic standards that rom-coms put was they, this idea that love is easy, right? Because, well, actually, love is easy. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, love is so easy. It is mm-hmm. so fucking easy to fall in love with someone. Fall in love every fucking day. Yeah. A relationship is really, really hard. Yeah. And these rom-coms make it seem like love is really easy. But then I was like, wait, some rom-coms make it seem like love is really easy. And then some rom-coms make it seem like love can't be easy. Mm-hmm. It's so like I'm a like, dichotomy. it is, it's this very weird dichotomy. Cause at first I was like, yeah, they make it seem like love is easy, but sometimes they do the opposite and they make it seem like if you don't have this arc, this enemies to lovers arc or this, you know what I mean? Some, you don't get through something traumatic yes, in the beginning. Crazy. Yeah. It's like, so there's this weird thing where like people, I think in my opinion, and this does make me sound like a crotchety old person, a lot of people because of that don't want to do the work in relationships anymore. And they pull out really easily because they've been taught that when you meet your soulmate, you'll know. Things yeah. will be easy with the right person. Yeah. I fucking hate that narrative. I used to see that a lot on Instagram. All the time. And it wasn't even just like love is so easy. It was like he didn't hear what you said when you were saying this thing. You need to leave him. Yeah, the right person will. He'll it's understand. like, what does that even fucking mean? And it's like, no, babe. Like, you need to just talk Communicate. to them. Communicate. <laughs> <laughs> like, you tell them how you're feeling. <laughs> there are some things that are boundaries. And again, those are personal for everyone. So yeah. I, I don't like people being preachy about like, oh no, if they did this, you better like get out of that relationship. It's not okay. Absolutely. Because everyone has different boundaries. Yes. It's very frustrating because I get that all the, I see that all the time still. Love is, love should be easy. That is so untrue. There's also the thing with, if it's not immediate fireworks. Yes. I actually saw this interesting thing the other day. This is maybe a little exaggerated, but it was essentially this person saying that she believes that not only are is the idea of butterflies unrealistic, but the but it's actually harmful because butterflies can sometimes just be anxiety, like because they are kind of the same feeling. And I think for a lot of times people get people conflate being anxious because somebody is maybe hard to get or is making them work for it or is leaving them in the dark and not communicating with butterflies. Mm-hmm. It was, um, there was a show I watched with Brene Brown. Okay. And she was talking about the feeling that we call nervous 
and how the actual science in the body is the same as yeah. feeling excited. And yeah. so it's almost like you're making a choice to be nervous or Absolutely. excited. Anxiety and excitement are the same part of the brain. It's conscious perception on which one you choose to feel. Yep. It's like why we feel what we feel when we're in line on a roller coaster. Right. Because so, you're kind of feeling both. Yeah. And so the thing that I think is harmful is we're being fed what beautiful is, what, you know, what attractive is. You can have the same experience with someone that you find attractive and that you find not attractive. Yeah. With the, not, with the person you find not attractive, you might feel anxiety. With the person that you find attractive, you might be like, I'm in love. Yeah. And that's not good. You're Right, exactly. <laughs> because then you're conflating these feelings. And then the worst part about that is a lot of times people end up, I think, staying in relationships or staying in situations or letting their boundaries be disrespected and tested because they had that initial feeling and they're holding on to that so much. And they're like, but this has to be worth it. I've never felt this way. Yes. That's not good. If you've never felt that way. It's not. Yeah. You, like That's like biology 101. Like we don't, we're not supposed to feel things that are like new and scary and anxious. It's your body telling you to run the other way. Yes. <laughs> that is a warning call. It's literally your brain telling you to fucking go the opposite way. And I think you can get past that. And you know, if you are someone who did have those big fireworks and you're in this long relationship, like that's fine too. And yeah. that's great and amazing and like, what a lovely experience to have. Yeah. But it's not the right experience. Right, there, exactly. You know, there's no right or wrong. And I also think there's something to be said about like that being a possible trauma response. Mm. Like, not to like therapize, <laughs> but it's possible that like you maybe, this is like very low hanging fruit, but like you always wanted a specific affection from your father and you didn't get it. And like, you know, you meet someone who kind of, has similar qualities or like you know brings something out in you that brings up that need for that like male attention and you get those feelings and you hold on to it so hard and it's like that's just a trauma response yeah. like that's just you know what I mean like that's not healthy that's not good if anything it's the opposite and you say it's low-hanging fruit but it's it is that way because it's true in so many cases yeah, it is you know and so a lot of people are like well that's just the mainstream way of thinking about it but I think everyone has to sort of challenge themselves and say, is it this way? Just like come to your own conclusions about mainstream, but don't disregard or accept something just because it's been done. Right. Because yeah. usually that means that there's like some validity in it. Like yeah. it's been attached to real things before. Yeah. I've found myself in those situations where I'm like, is this a father issue? Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone, well, not everyone, because some people aren't self-aware, but yeah. I think like for people that have gone to therapy or have had those conversations or are interested in those things, I think they can sort of see themselves maybe in similar situations. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's interesting the way that people write relationships off because there isn't like some grand gesture or because they don't have like a meet cute story. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Or... um yeah, just this idea. It's like, it's this idea that like slow burns are not romantic. Yeah. And it's like, I know people who get into relationships and it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's easy in the sense that they didn't have to fight for the person. Yeah. You know, the person was very clear from the beginning what they wanted and that it was that person and that they were willing to like be a good partner and they weren't like ready to not, maybe not ready to say goodbye to their single life or not ready to, you know, prioritize that person or whatever. And that, and most of the time I find that specifically like women in hetero relationships will reject that because they feel like if they're not fighting for a relationship that it's not worth, it's not worth it. It's like too easy or, yeah. or not interesting enough. Yeah. Maybe um, they're, it's like a boring kind of thing. I don't really understand it, which is funny because I've definitely been in that. I've fallen to that when I was younger. Absolutely. But even I don't understand what the like. But we do that, I think, on smaller scales. Like, I think yeah. sometimes 
subconsciously, and I can look back and say this, but yeah. subconsciously, maybe I was having a really boring day and I know I, I picked a fight with my partner Yeah, because I was bored. Yeah. And I was like, let's Absolutely. liven this or up Or you haven't like bit. fought and, and things have been super easy for three months and you're like, <sighs> or people romanticize the feeling after a fight too, because sometimes fights make you closer. Absolutely. And so they're like, oh, I want to feel closer to my partner. So I'm going to start a fight. And that's why makeup sex is such a thing. But that's not necessarily, that doesn't mean you should start more fights. That just means like (laughs) you're getting through them and it's good. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think it's, it opens up the conversation for like, how can we find that feeling in a healthy way? Yes. And I love that. Yeah. And I think that that kind of circling back to media it's just taking yourself out of it. Like yeah. really trying not to compare yourself, figuring out what works for you and your partner. And also just having kind of like honest conversations in your head about Absolutely. things. I think writing really helps if you're trying to come to conclusions. Yes. Just like people who like to talk, sometimes recording yourself talking about something and listening to it later oh, is really great. I like that because I'm not a big writer. I don't like a journaler. I'm not a big journaler. It's just never been a thing for me. I was when I was younger and uh-huh. then I found that talking out loud. And this is like, probably such a crazy person thing I'm about to admit but if I was if I used to be going through something when I'm in my car it's just like a therapeutic place for me I just like like driving a long way and instead of having those thoughts in my head sometimes I'll talk through them I love that yeah and if it's you know sometimes I'll call my sister and talk through it or whatever but I'm very much a person that likes to talk through my thoughts yeah and doing that by myself has helped sometimes and listening back and being like well that I sound know, stupid. That doesn't work really. That would, that's what I would do. I'd be yeah. like, oh, I sound very silly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I sound very but silly. it helps yeah. in the moment. And then you don't have to like kind of put that on your partner. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay. So circling back just to kind of like finish it out in, into like more of, I guess, the sexual aspect that I wanted to touch on is intimacy coaches. Because I feel like a lot of people don't even know about this. They don't even know it's a thing. I actually didn't even know it was a thing until I worked at Playboy. I didn't even know that this was a job. So can you talk a little bit about like your experience with intimacy coaches? Yeah, I think the very first time I heard about it or read about it was a series. I actually think I probably heard about it before this, but the only one that I'm thinking of is like The Deuce. That was on, was it on HBO? I don't know. There was a show called The Deuce. Okay. And it was very famous because in the, their press tour, they talked about their intimacy coordinator. Okay. Because there's, there's sex scenes in the show. There's sex scenes. Yes. It was like 70s. Okay. I mean, when we were talking about we worked at Playboy, it was very like influenced by that sort of set of visuals um, in the 70s. And so they had an intimacy coordinator on set and in their press tour, they talked a lot about it and how it made the women feel better. And so I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I wonder if that could be helpful to the women on set that I'm working with. And so I sort of inquired within the company about, you know, is that something that could be sponsored? Can I look into it? You know, and they were like, absolutely. That's great. We want obviously want everyone to feel so comfortable on set, especially if they're naked or doing anything that might be sexual. And so I looked into it and you can actually take classes. And now it's really great because um, they work with SAG. Okay. So recently Mm -hmm. they, um, and recently because of the pandemic is like four years ago, (laughs) um, they created a relationship with SAG. And so now they can, it's just like, more legit yeah before it was like you can take the classes and you can sort of say you're an intimacy coordinator and all of those things but now you can really truly like get like certified, get certified okay. and have it be yeah legitimate and get jobs and book that way um but it started in theater okay 
And it started, honestly, with a lot of black and brown queer actors who felt like they were being taken advantage of. People weren't asking for context of what their experiences were before things were happening. Yeah. And in theater, when you're on stage, you don't really have the opportunity to yell cut if you're uncomfortable. And so a lot of actors were taken advantage of in certain ways. And so what they felt like was the solution for that was bringing in someone who could essentially choreograph those things for them. So yeah. when you're thinking about an action scene with people fighting and having a fist fight, someone goes in and all of those are steps. Yeah. Like they know the choreography. They know what's going to come next. Completely. That did not exist for sex. There's like multiple stunt coordinators on most sets for that stuff. And that didn't exist 10 years ago wow. at all. So people were just winging it and kind of deriving what they were showing on screen from maybe their own personal experiences, which is like kind of boundary crossing for some people. Absolutely, absolutely. And so what intimacy coordinators do is they can go in, they can speak to both people that might be in a scene. If it's one person, literally anything. It could be a kiss. And it could be, okay, I'm going to put my my hand here and that's going to mean that you move in and you can do it by beats, but it's all choreographed. Yeah. And it, it gives the power back to the actor. Right. And it makes everything very out out in the open. People understand when you're in a scene and when the scene ends because another issue that happened was you have a super passionate sex scene that you film and then the person that you're acting with after, you know, they yell cut or after when you're on your way home that night decide they want to try and go on a date with you or cross the line that way because they just felt, oh, well, we connected so well. Yeah, I've even heard horror stories of them yelling cut and they were like under the covers and the actor was still like rubbing their thigh or something. And, you know, I'm sure that they could try to make some awful excuse like, well, I was just staying in character. But it's like this allows for those things to not happen. Yeah. And there is a lot of great inventions and wonderful things that intimacy coordinators have come up with. And that's like, you know, a lot of padding and different things that you can hide stuff with to make everyone feel very comfortable. And one of the main things I know when I took classes, and I'm not like officially certified, but I did take a lot of classes and kind of implement a lot of those strategies into the work we did at Playboy, is um, making sure there's a conversation about past trauma. That's incredible. So some people might not understand that if I touch your ear, um, you know, there could be something that happened to the person that you're interacting with when they were a child or in a sexual experience where their ear was touched and that's just a complete trigger for them. Yeah. No one would ever know that unless you have the conversation and it's so hard to facilitate the conversation on your own. Yes. So having someone to be able to sit there and be like, can you let me know anything and they can have a very private conversation and Feel safe. none of that has to come out in in the actual choreography. But just for that person to know, that person's not getting near, near your ear. Yeah. You know, or yeah. just like examples of that. And so I think it's it's so valuable for media. And I think we'll continue to see really, really beautiful shows where I've been so impressed lately by some sex scenes that I'm just like, that feels more authentic. It feels like yeah. there was thought behind it. Um, and I love to see it. I think it's, I think we're getting a lot more of it. And I hope that people consider, you know, bringing on an intimacy coordinator more often. So do you feel like aside from obviously the very like important aspects of that, which are like taking traumas into account, making sure people feel comfortable. Do you feel like there's an aspect of intimacy coaching that is also like, how do we make this seem more realistic? How do we make this sex feel less performative and more aligned with like what actually the nuance of real sex? Yes, because... I think when you're deriving um, a sex scene from your past experiences, it's 
will probably end up being performative. Absolutely. Which is, you know, you're just kind of into the same cycle. You're adding to it almost. And so I think a really, really cool thing that intimacy coordinators are able to do is read a script and take into account what the characters are going through and saying, I think the character wouldn't like this or I think the character would approach sex this way or kiss this way or, you know, people cheat to the camera when they act, right? So how can we cheat to the camera that doesn't make it seem performative to the audience? Right. Um, And even stopping that, like I've seen a lot more sex scenes where you don't get to see someone's face or you don't get to see someone's body because it is shielded in a way that's more realistic. Yeah. And so I, I just think that's wonderful and it's the right way to go. Are there in just in in your experience? Are there intimacy coaches now in certain um, like on porn sets? I when I was really into it, there wasn't yet. Um, I remember actually having conversations with a couple porn stars about that when yeah. I was at Playboy, and there wasn't. Um, I want to say depending. I don't want to blanket any terms because I think it really depends on the porn star you're speaking with. Absolutely. But some of the bigger porn stars that have a little bit more agency when they walk onto a set are more comfortable saying things that they're comfortable with. Right. Um, And so I do think it's difficult for maybe like a newcomer or someone that hasn't been doing it a lot going onto a set maybe with someone that is more recognizable or known and not having sort of that power. Yeah. Um, That's just power dynamics. Absolutely. You learn a lot about that in in these classes too. Just inherent dynamics. Yeah. Um, male, female, um, you can have someone who just might have, you know, class dynamics yeah. or race dynamics More seasoned or things actor like or that. Something, yeah. So you really have to take into account all of those things. And I think porn hopefully will get there. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily as caught up. And, you know, I say caught up, but the film and TV industry, like, yeah. it's not even there yet. Yeah, the percentage of those sex scenes that have intimacy coordinators is probably extremely low. It's not mainstream. Yeah. So I think the advice, if anyone listening is acting even on a theater set or something and they're feeling uncomfortable, ask for an intimacy coordinator. Yeah. Force someone to put that position in. It's an important position. Yeah. It saves people. It makes people feel safe. Yeah. Um, And it's really important. And if the people on set, whether that's like the crew or the people in power or the like fellow actors feel uncomfortable with it or feel like it's unnecessary, it says a lot about it. Absolutely. It says a lot about them as people. Big red flag. Huge red flag. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's where I'm going to end this off. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on and sitting in my extremely hot apartment. Loved it. And kind of a little bit redoing it, but I'm really excited about this. Yeah. You were right about us, like what we were able to bring in with this like extra few years of knowledge. Yeah. We'll do it again in two years. And I'm excited to see how media evolves. (laughs) We actually should. That would be kind of interesting. We should because this is one of those things that changes so much with us that we can revisit it every year and be like, what's changed? Yeah. How how has our thinking changed? How has the world changed? Yeah. So. And I would just like, there's probably going to be new types of media too. That's very true. That we have to think about. Holograms. I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready either. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please give it a good review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps me out. If you want more of the podcast, follow us on Instagram at was that good for you. And I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.